Good morning and welcome to Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. I'm Kevin Farrell, filling in for Dr. Rick DeShazu, who is out this morning. Ah, but at least you think I'll be answering your questions? Never fear. We have with us today Dr. Jimmy Stewart and Dr. Daniel Reich. They'll be here for the next hour answering your questions about medication. What's good? What's bad? What you might have sitting in your medicine cabinet that you don't know what to do with. We'll even talk about prescription drug abuse in Mississippi and how that got so out of hand. Plus, any other questions that you might have. Call us this morning with your questions. It's 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 877-672-7464. Or send an email to southernremedy at mpbonline.org. We'll be back with Southern Remedy right after the news. an MPB Think Radio podcast. mpbonline.org. MPB Think Radio. Welcome back to Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here filling in for Dr. Rick DeShazo. He's out with us this week. We'll be back uh, next week. And uh, to just uh, demonstrate what a what a, an imposing figure Dr. Rick is, there's three of us uh, here to replace him this morning. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Jimmy Stewart and Dr. Daniel Reich. We're taking your questions about medicines this morning. What's good? What's bad? What you might have in your uh, medicine cabinet that you don't remember what to do with? We're going to talk uh, possibly about some prescription drug abuse in Mississippi and how serious that problem is. But we're also looking for your questions, as we do each uh, Wednesday on uh, Southern Remedy. The number to call is one eight seven seven. MPB ring. It's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Or you can send an email. The address is Southern Remedy at mpbonline.org. Uh, Dr. Jimmy Stewart is with us. He finished his um, uh, medical school training and residency at the University of Mississippi Medical Center and has been on faculty at UMC since 2001. He spends his time teaching both medical students and residents in primary care settings in the hospital and in clinic and holds a special uh, a specialty certificate for the treatment of hypertension. Also with us this morning uh, is uh, Dr. Daniel Reich. He finished his degree at the University of Louisiana at Monroe and his residency training at St. Louis College of Pharmacy. He's been on faculty at UMC since 2006 and is the clinical coordinator of the UMMC Cardiometabolic Clinic. Also holds board certification as a pharma pharmacotherapy specialist, and certified diabetes educator. So good morning to you both. Thanks for being here to help us out this morning. Good morning. Morning. So uh, uh, as we wait for some calls, I thought there are a couple of things that we could dig into. And uh, one thing, you know, uh, Dr. Reich, we were talking about this just before we came on the air, and that is uh, prescription drug abuse, uh, the problem of that in Mississippi. And it uh, really is a serious problem here. Quite serious. We in... 2011, in fact, the Mississippi uh, Department of Health, uh, mental health reported that one quarter of their admissions are due to, uh, at drug and alcohol treatment centers, are due to prescription medication abuse. And probably the scariest statistic we were mentioning before the show is that most teens will report in Mississippi it's easier to obtain prescription medication than it is to obtain beer. Uh, And I think that that's just a small part is uh, prescription drug abuse in the pediatric population. You also have in the adult population a large issue. So is it more prevalent among teens and younger people or in, in the adult population? Probably more so the adult population due to the uh, access. And and I would imagine that no one you know starts taking a medication in order to become addicted or, or abuse it. Uh, could you give us maybe a scenario of how someone might uh, become to uh, abuse a, a medication like that? 
Well, we can take the most commonly uh, prescribed controlled substance in Mississippi, which is hydrocodone. Uh, in fact, uh, some numbers we were reviewing, hydrocodone is three to- is prescribed three times more than the second most prescribed controlled medication known as Xanax uh, here in Mississippi per month. And what happens with a drug like that, it's an opiate, su- opiate substance, and there's no ceiling on the dose, and there's an increase in uh, tolerability. So uh, uh, the the issue is you need more drug over time as you're abusing it to get the same euphoric effect. Uh, it's similar to a heroin type situation, except this would be an oral pill at a much weaker strength. So is there something, I mean, that you, if you're taking this type of medication, is there something that you can kind of watch out for, uh, seeing that you might be headed down that path, some red flags, as it were? Well, there there are from two perspectives. You can, from a patient perspective, if you're if you're vigilant, you can see, oh, I'm getting my refills three days sooner. Uh, I, I I tend to um, kind of save a few from one bottle, or or go to an old bottle and pull a few there and use those. And I'm overusing. If I'm given four a day, I'm using six a day. These are things that that are that are key signs that you might be developing addiction. Um, from a provider perspective, it's being vigilant with re- refills. Um, when someone was to call, if they are uh, given, say, uh, uh, three refills, but yet that those refills run out when they shouldn't have or a month early, that's that's a time to have a conversation with your with your patient. Additionally, uh, physicians and providers and prescribers have access to the prescription drug monitoring program here in Mississippi, which was recently implemented due to the abuse, uh, where uh, providers can look at all the different pharmacies that people get controlled substances filled at when they're getting them filled for how long, et cetera. So there are a few things you can do to try to prevent addiction. One of the most important things to remember, too, is to, to take the medication exactly like your doctor prescribes it. Um, most of these medications, too, are not designed to control pain for long periods of time, although there may be certain circumstances that's true. So a lot of them are for a short course of therapy. Uh, and it's also important to stick with the same doctor. Um, we'll probably talk more about that with the, as the hour goes along, but doctor shopping and switching back and forth from one doctor to the other is not a good idea. Uh, what you end up with then is controlled substances, multiple ones that can interact with one another, and then other medications too that, uh, that uh, a new doctor may not be aware of unless you tell them. This is Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio, filling in for Dr. Rick DeShazo this week. I'm Kevin Farrell, here with Dr. Jimmy Stewart and Dr. Daniel Reich, ready to take your questions about medications. The number to call is 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 877-672-7464. Or send an email to southernremedy at mpbonline.org. Let's go to Mobile for our first caller. Mary is on the line. Go ahead, Mary. Um, I was recently diagnosed by a rheumatologist with fibromyalgia rheumatica and placed on 15 milligrams of prednisone a day. And all you hear is negatives about prednisone. And I wondered about the long-term use of that drug. So, uh, Mary, I think what you have is polymyalgia rheumatica or PMR. So that's a, a common condition that we see. Uh, it is a rheumatological condition that is very responsive to steroids. What's your physician? Uh, you, you're right. There's a lot of side effects with steroids that we can talk about, but that is a, a common first-line um, medication to treat PMR. 
And what your physician will probably do is, uh, after you've had a response to that, is either try to wean you off of that over time. It's important to, to take it, again, exactly as your physician instructed you. Uh, but they'll probably try to minimize the dose that you're taking uh, to try to also minimize the side effects. So, Mary, did you have a good response to the prednisone? Life-changing to me. Life-changing, I, I, and uh, congratulations on that. I know it's difficult and it's tough with those rheumatological diseases and you're in pain all the time, and I think that it's wonderful that the prednisone's done that. I agree with Dr. Stewart that essentially you want to use the lowest dose for the shortest period of time when it comes to steroids. And uh, just for your for your information, a couple of the long-term things we look at, particularly are uh, in a, uh, I'm assuming, uh, a female, uh, you you you'll have bone health issues with long-term steroids. It can weaken or cause brittle bones. And uh, that's one thing that is uh, a major issue as, as you as you age and you have lower calcium levels and you go through menopause and postmenopause and you have lower estrogen levels. So that's definitely one concern. And uh, the suggestion, of course, would be to get your bone scanned regularly or, or talk to your rheumatologist about supplemental uh, either calcium, vitamin D, or medication that you can take to prevent that bone loss. The secondary thing is steroids can put you at risk for uh, infection. Uh, over long-term periods, it, it's it's not like having uh, cancer or HIV, but it just it decreases the immune system a bit, and it's something you need to watch out for as you as you age as well, because you might go into the hospital for a procedure, and then you have the chance of catching a hospital infection, etc. So while the steroids are wonderful, and I'm so glad for you that you had a response, what I'd say is that there are other medications that you can take for more long-term, and then use the steroids as burst treatments. Uh, and that might be an option, depending on what you and your rheumatologist talk about. All right, Mary, thanks for your call. This is Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. We're talking today about medications. Let's uh, continue get one more phone call in before we take our first break. So we'll go to Grand Bay, Alabama. George is on the phone. Go ahead, George. Good morning, Kevin and doctors. Good morning. First, let me say real quick, my heart goes out to all the victims at the Boston Marathon. And thank all the... EMTs and doctors for their work. My question is, what is the difference between habitual and chronic drug abuse, prescription drug abuse? So if I understand your question right, uh, the difference between habitual and chronic. Now, there are some drugs that you would take for chronic conditions over a long period of time that are prescription drugs, particularly for pain. Uh, and again, if you, your physician may work with you, you know, to see which, which ones work the best for you individually. When we talk about habitual, those are, those are conditions where you become habituated or used to the, um, to the effects of the medication and almost dependent on it so that you have to have that. Um, and that can be a psychological, just the way you, it makes you feel, or it can be an actual addiction where it's hard to come off of it, and you need help to do that. All right, George, thanks for your call. We're going to take our first break of the hour. When we get back, we'll continue our discussion about medications. We're looking for your phone calls this morning at one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464 Or you can send an email to southernremedy at mpbonline.org. We'll be back with more of the program after this break.
is an MPB Think Radio podcast. mpbonline.org. MPB Think Radio. Welcome back to Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. Dr. Rick DeShazo out this week, so I'm Kevin Farrell filling in for Dr. Rick. I'm here with two doctors to help you answer your questions about medications. We're our guests this morning, Dr. Jimmy Stewart and Dr. Daniel Reich. The number to call if you have a question is one eight seven seven mpb ring Our phone number is 877-672-7464. Let's go to Jackson. Marjorie on the line with a question. Go ahead, please. Hi, you're up next. Go ahead. All right, uh, Marjorie, we'll go ahead and put you uh, back on hold, see if we can't work that. In the meantime, though, uh, we can continue our discussion. You know, a a lot of times when people get uh, a a prescription, obviously there's a label there on the pill bottle. How important is it to uh, read that label, and what sorts of important information are found when you look at the label on a a medicine pill, a bottle? Okay, well, great. Uh, Great question. All right, uh, having some uh, microphone issues here for just a minute. Uh, let's see if we can't. All right, go ahead. Well, that's a great question on a medication pill bottle. So uh, back in the day, and I'm talking back in the day in the 50s and whatnot, uh, uh, a physician would have to put the word label on a prescription in order to even put the drug name on the bottle to the patient. So the, the physician would know what the patient was taking, but the uh, patient didn't necessarily know. The pharmacist would know, but wouldn't tell the patient. Nowadays, of course, we don't do that, uh, and uh, it's better for medicine. Uh, what you'll find on your bottle, you'll find drug name and dose. Uh, some other important things are you'll find your directions, and those directions are very important. There are several drugs that are to be taken in the morning, several drugs at bedtime. Some drugs work better at bedtime. A great example of those are cholesterol drugs called statins. Several work best at bedtime. Uh, And there's another thing that you look at on a prescription label, which is your doctor's name. And a lot of people, and we talked about what we call polyprescriber, um, a lot of people have multiple doctors. The uh, Mary who called in earlier will have a rheumatologist, a general practitioner, probably a gynecologist, etc. And you, you need to look at the name because you need to remember who to call to discuss any possible or potential adverse effects with that person, uh, as well as refill requests. Uh, what about then if you, uh, as you mentioned, if you're reading the, the directions and it says something like, you know, take every morning with breakfast or something and you're in a rush and, gosh, you forget that pill, that breakfast, uh, is it okay to to maybe take it at lunch or should you skip and take it at the next cycle that it calls for on the label? It's probably the most common question asked to a pharmacist at any retail pharmacy. And it's it actually will depend a little bit on which medication because some will last longer, some will be shorter. Uh, and uh, it, what the best thing to do is probably to ask your pharmacist for that particular situation. It's usually the best rule of thumb to not double doses with the next dose, whatever that would be. Uh, so the best rule of thumb is to not double doses. But other than that, some drugs may need to be taken at a certain time or have distance from uh, other medications. So it's best to ask the pharmacist in that case. Uh, let's go back to the phone lines. I think we've got Marjorie on the line. Marjorie, what's your question for us this morning? I have a, a medication, a simvastatin. I want to know if, the, if it, that is a real statin or not. It's a 20-milligram tablet. Uh, and uh, I'm supposed to take only one half of a tablet at bedtime. And I wanted to know if that is in any way uh, something you cannot keep on taking for a long time. Uh, Well, Marjorie, uh, 
That is a real statin. That's one of the prime examples of statins. I would actually say simvastatin has the second most evidence to support its use in many disease states uh, versus other statins even. Um, it's a generic statin. It's available at the doses you're talking about, and 10 milligrams is a reasonable dose. You do take it at bedtime. It's one of those kinds of drugs. Uh, there, uh, For long-term issues, there, there shouldn't be a, a long-term quote-unquote issue that wouldn't also happen in the short term. There are some adverse effects associated with it. There's monitoring you need to look at from anywhere from liver monitoring to mental status monitoring. But uh, essentially, it's that those type of drugs are meant for long-term use for cardiovascular protection. And we should point out to that that's a, a common – a lot of people call these cholesterol drugs, right? So they're used to treat cholesterol, but what we're really looking at is preventing heart attack, stroke, um, and some other diseases that can go along with high cholesterol. But that is – you're right. It is a statin. All right. Marjorie, thanks for that call. Let's continue on. We'll go next to the Gulf Coast. Richard's called in. Go ahead, Richard. Uh, yeah, my wife uh, has a herniated disc in her back, and uh, the doctor, uh, the pain management doctor, her, her general practitioner had given her some Lortabs and sent her to the neurologist who then referred her to the pain management doctor. And to get the steroid shot in her back, he wanted to do a blood test to check a white blood cell count. And it was a 13.5, and 10 was supposed to be about the top on that range. But I was reading that uh, pain, allergies, arthritis, and uh, mental and physical stress can elevate the white blood cell count. And her, the pain management doctor doesn't want to give her the medicine until he's given her the steroid shot. And the MD uh, is hesitant about giving her more lower tabs until the white blood cell count gets down. Kind of in a catch-22 weird so, Richard, uh, this is a common situation where it, in a patient that has chronic pain, uh, it is not uncommon at some point to refer them to a pain management clinic, which can help out. And sometimes that's a co-management of the pain, and sometimes they take care of all the pain. And what they try to do is they try to, to get at the point of, of where that pain is coming from. So a steroid injection is something that they can do locally, particularly for something like a herniated disc. Now, uh, in regards to your question about the white count, you're exactly right. White counts can go up, down, for any number of reasons. What the white count, it, what is, um, um, is, is what they're looking at is basically a risk of infection is the main thing. So they want to make sure that that's an appropriate level. Now, many lab tests can be outside the normal range, and it can be a total normal finding. So um, what you probably need to do is is contact the is is for all your doctors that are taking care of her to talk to one another about it and come up with a game plan where everybody's on board to treat this and everybody knows what their role is. All right, uh, Richard, we appreciate your call. Uh, let's move on. Next, going to Jackson. Raymond's on the line. Go ahead, Raymond. Hello. Hi. Go ahead. You're up next. Okay. Um, my- uh, we're going to have to put you on hold. Uh, having a little trouble, I think, with your cell phone or that phone line. Raymond, if you could maybe give us a call back. We'll try to get to your question. This is Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell filling in for Dr. Rick DeShazo. Our guests this morning, Dr. Jimmy Stewart and Dr. Daniel Reich, here ready to answer your questions about medications. The number to call if you have a question is one eight seven seven mpb ring Our phone number is 877 Seven four six four. You can send an email to southernremedy at mpbonline.org. 
Uh, next, let's go to Waveland. Henry's on the line. Go ahead, Henry. Uh, good morning. Uh, I, I've got a question. I have, for most of my life, or at least in recent years, the last 20, carried a blood pressure in the range of about 120 over 85 or something like that. My doctor recently suggested that I start taking uh, a uh, medication called hydrochlorothiazide. I think I'm saying that right. She indicated that it was a very mild uh, medication and, and might bring that down a little bit into a, an area that makes her smile a little bit more. And uh, I guess I'm, I'm concerned about it because I'm reading that it is a medication that shouldn't be used with a lot of exercise. And I tend to be an endurance uh, bicyclist. So uh, if you could comment on that, I'd really appreciate it. Hey, Henry. Uh, well, hydrochlorothiazide is definitely a blood pressure medication. It's known as a diuretic, so uh, it lowers blood pressure by allowing fluid to leave the body and in other ways. Um, your blood pressure was, uh, your second number is called diastolic blood pressure, and depending on what it was in the office or whatnot, that was probably the decision made to start this diuretic. It's traditionally been a first-line drug of choice for hypertension. It's a very commonly given medicine, one of the most common, actually, in the country. Uh, it... As far in terms of exercise, I think the more important thing that's trying to get at there is uh, hydrochlorothiazide has the potential to deplete potassium, and potassium wasting can over time cause muscle weakness, muscle fatigue, muscle cramping is the uh, bigger thing. I think that might be what that warning is getting at is that you need to be regularly monitored to make sure your potassium levels and your kidney function are staying in the good zone. And I I think you're good with even up to strenuous exercise as discussed with your physician. I don't think that drug should limit your, uh, your physical activity. All right, uh, Henry, thanks for the call. A quick follow-up there. I guess, you know, it's important uh, when you go on any medication to maybe let your doctor know that you are an endurance cyclist or something. I I guess, you know, we talk about this frequently on the show, or Dr. Rick does, is that the more information you can provide your physician when you go in to meet with him, uh, the better your care is going to be. Absolutely. Uh, Back to the phone lines we go. We'll go next to Jackson. Georgia has a question. Go ahead, please. Hello. Hi. You're on the air. Go ahead. Okay. Yes, sir. Um, A couple of, uh, well, last month I was um, having problems breathing, and I had a cough and um, the mucus, and I was given this syrup called um, hydrocortisone, H-O-M-A, 5.1 5.1 milligrams. That, that's most likely hydrocodone, uh, and that is, it, while it is a pain reliever, it is also a cough suppressant when used in a syrup form. Uh, and what's your question on that on that syrup? Okay, and plus I was give, given these uh, pills to take, and it's P-S-E-U-D-O. Pseudoephedrine, right, and that's and that's another medication that's used to to suppress a cough. And I went through a roadblock a couple of weeks ago and got uh they uh stopped me and um and I was charged with DUI and all I had was, was taken was this medication. Um. Okay, that's that's pretty interesting, and you had no. 
Alcoholic so beverage. I want to know what in the world is in this medication. <laughs> okay, so it gives cause me to have a DUI. Well, hydro, hydrocodone is a pain reliever medication, and it can be it can be it can cause um, you to dry be impaired, and that may be why the DUI was given. Additionally, it's in a syrup form, which does contain alcohol, uh, and so you may throw uh, may may blow a positive breathalyzer test when taking the syrup, particularly if you took it very close to driving. Um, so there's a chance uh, that that contributed. And it's it's important also back to our to our discussion about labeling. Now, most of these medications will have on the label that you don't need to drive or operate uh, heavy equipment when you do this because they can impair your ability to uh, your reflexes and the way that you react in certain situations. So you have to be careful with these medications. All right, uh, Georgia, thanks for the call. This is uh, Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. We're talking today about medications. Kevin Farrell's filling in for Dr. Rick DeShazo with Dr. Jimmy Stewart and, and Dr. Daniel Reich. If you have a question for us, the number to call is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 Our next caller is from Tupelo. Chris is on the line. Go ahead, Chris. Hey, thank you for taking my call. Sure. Um, I have, I'm on two different types of blood pressure medicine, which is Rosartan and Norvas, and I take a uh, generic for Lipitor, and I also take a the stomach pill, Protonix, or, or something like that. But I take all of those in the morning, and um, I'm 38, and I'm kind of getting back in shape. I just got a little belly, and uh, but anyway... Uh, I was wondering if that was a bad idea to take all of that at one time. Um, actually, Chris, so um, out of the meds you mentioned, you you don't have any significant drug drug interactions, and so taking them together in the morning that should be fine. Uh, Lipitor is not one of the statins that needs to be taken at bedtime, so you can take that at any point in the day. So in the morning there is fine. Uh, my my only suggestion would be taking four pills in the morning might be a larger pill burden, and so you can split them morning and and evening if you would like, just to decrease your your amount of things you're swallowing at one time uh but uh i don't actually see a problem with you taking all four of those in the morning um i would make sure to monitor your blood pressure because you're on two blood pressure agents so monitor it throughout the day and then when you wake up before you take your medicine so you can make sure that the blood pressure reduction is maintaining throughout the entire 24 hours which is the intent all right chris so thanks for that call uh, we're going to take another break. When we get back, we'll continue our discussions about medications. Dr. Rick is not with us this week, so I'm Kevin Farrell filling in with two guests this morning, Dr. Jimmy Stewart and Dr. Daniel Reich. We're ready to take your questions about medications. The number to call is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. You can send an email to southernremedy at mpbonline.org. When we get back uh, on the program, Maxine uh, from Columbus has a question. We'll get to that and continue to answer your questions on medications. You're listening to Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. More after this break.
MPB Think Radio podcast. mpbonline.org. MPB Think Radio. And welcome back. This is Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. Dr. Rick DeShazo not in this week, so I'm Kevin Farrell filling in for Dr. Rick here with two guests this morning, Dr. Jimmy Stewart and Dr. Daniel Reich. We're taking your questions today about medications. So call us if you have a question at one eight seven seven mpb ring Our phone number is 877-672-7464 or send an email to southernremedy at mpbonline.org. As promised, we'll go next to Columbus. Maxine has called in. Go ahead, Maxine. Good morning. Enjoy Good morning. your show. Thanks. My um, question is about rheumatoid infusion. Should I, for rheumatoid arthritis, should I be getting lab work to monitor my organs, such as my kidney and my liver? And if so, how often? Hey, Maxine. Um you definitely should be getting lab work with Remicade infusions. Now, the uh, the frequency is going to depend on what your on, on what other conditions you have, as well as what your rheumatologist plan is for you. Um, but uh, certainly, things like chemistries, liver enzymes, uh, blood counts, etc., uh, are are things you would want to monitor with long term Remicade infusions. Um, but yeah, there's no, there's going to be no set thing without knowing your history. There's going to be no set thing we can tell you for monitoring plans. All right, uh, Maxine, thanks for that call. This is Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. Uh, you know, I'm wondering if uh, some thoughts on uh, have you seen a change in people who are coming in to, to visit uh, with all these uh, direct consumer ads that we see? I know there are a lot of these ads on TV that are, you know, talking about what the drug does. And a lot of them have a call to action where they say, you know, tell, talk to your doctor, tell them you want this particular drug. Ha- has that changed uh, the approach that patients have that, that you've seen? Almost every time I have a patient in clinic, I get one of those questions. So, and sometimes they're appropriate, but what we call that direct-to-consumer advertising. So basically, a lot of the drug companies, the pharmaceutical companies, have switched the way that they advertise their products and are directly, you see those on TV. And the important thing to remember is just because, I mean, these are commercials that are geared toward making you excited about a medication. But just because you think that that medication is going to be, you know, a cure-all for what you're dealing with doesn't mean that when you go to your physician, that's going to be the appropriate medication to take, which is, again, I, and I sound like a broken record here, but it is important. The most important thing for me is that I have a relationship with my patients. I know my patients. I know their medical conditions. And I know what's appropriate for them. And, you know, we, have an, we can have an honest discussion about what's most appropriate for them to take. And Dr. Reich, we talked a little bit off air uh, before we came on this morning about uh, all the warnings that you hear. You know, sometimes it seems like they'll say warnings range from, you know, a, a bloody nose to, to possible death or whatever. Um, how how serious should we take those and, and uh, talk a little bit about that if you could? Yeah, uh, they, they can be scary. And, and sometimes the longest part of the commercial is the warnings. <laughs> and so uh, the, what what those adverse effects are that are typically with the drugs or drug interactions in some cases are they're found in the clinical studies and found to a high percentage or a high enough percentage that they require reporting by law. And uh, they, 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 they need to be taken seriously. However, 
uh, you you make a decision for an individualized care plan with your physician or your provider, and that's the key. Your provider understands these adverse effects. They're going to mention the ones that are going to be the highest risk for you, and uh, and that that that's where you need to have the most information that goes back and forth rather than counting on the commercial. Um, but yeah, so death has occurred in several of the drugs for clinical studies and whatnot, and so it can be scary, and I understand that. Uh, but realize that uh, those are lower percentage, probably uh, adverse effects, although they are very serious. And it goes back to what uh, Dr. Stewart just said is that, you know, your doctor is the one who knows you. He works with you all the time. So he would be able to understand what those possible side effects are and really help you understand which ones you in particular might be uh, 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 possible to uh, to get. Uh, back to the phone lines we go next to Madison. Jackie's called in. Go ahead, Jackie. Hello. I just tuned in, so if you've already covered statin drugs, just tell me. Um, my husband was put on a statin because of high cholesterol. It's genetic. He's in good health otherwise, exercises, low weight. But he didn't like the way it made him feel. He was kind of lethargic, muscle aches and pain. So he, after being on two or three different ones, just won't take him. And he's taking fish oil, and we watch our diet. But um, cardiologist, retired cardiologist from Stanford, told me that fish oil would do no good. So what can we do? Well, hey, Jackie, uh, I'm actually a cholesterol specialist, and one of my parts of clinic concentrates in uh, statin intolerance. Uh, statins are important medication classes for most patients. Uh, now, I don't know your husband's cholesterol panel, but I can assume he has an elevated bad cholesterol. I think that you probably have a situation where there are underlying causes of what's called statin-induced myalgia. Uh, and there are ways we can deal with that. There are certain statins that actually have lower risk. Uh, vitamin D deficiency has been directly linked to this. There are alternative herbal supplements you can give that can help with tolerability. There are also alternative LDL-lowering drugs that we can use uh, in place of statins if if need be, if, if that arises. Certainly the fish oil is not an LDL drug. It does its job at lowering triglycerides, but it's not an LDL drug, and that might be why that that retired physician indicated such. Uh, it, if you want, you can come. feel free to come see me at UMC. I'd be happy to see your husband. But uh, I think that there are many options, and he probably has more options than he he's aware of even right now. And we should say, too, that lifestyle modifications, and by that we mean – what you eat, diet, and exercise that you mentioned is extremely important, and it's effective. Uh, it may not be totally effective in reducing your risk, but it's, it is effective if you do it. That's the big point. All right, uh, Jackie, we appreciate your call. Next, we go to Greenville. Helen has called in with a question. Go ahead, Helen. Yes, uh, I called in a friend of mine. Uh, he has, uh, he's in his uh, mid-70s, and he called. Uh, I mean, he told me that... Uh, he uh, has always had good uh, blood pressure readings. He takes exercise. Uh, he is uh, diabetic, but it's he, the diabetes has been with him for a good long while, and he's never had to have insulin or anything like that except his pill. He just takes a pill every day, and uh, this has been going on for 20 years or so. He gets good exercise, uh, rides his bike eight miles a day every day. And he uh, has been in very good condition, but lately uh, uh, he goes. To go, of course, he goes to his doctor doctor regularly. But this is a question that I would like to to know: uh, what can cause your always his blood pressure has been 
like 120-something over 70 or 130 over, you know, a low number. And now his blood pressure, systolic pressure, has gone up like to 160 over 70. I mean, it's it jumps down. It's still low on the diastolic, but it's a good bit higher on the systolic pressure. What can cause that? Helen, this is a great question. Uh so basically what you're describing is something called isolated systolic hypertension of the elderly. Um, so what normally happens is as our blood vessels over time, as we get older, they get stiffer. And because of that stiffness, it's common to see that top number or the systolic number go up as we get older, particularly if you're over the age of about 55 to 60. Uh, it is also common because of that stiffness for the bottom number or the diastolic blood pressure to go down. Now, there are certain conditions where you can see this, um, and, you know, it needs to be monitored to, to look for other conditions that might be making that top number go up. There are some problems with blood flow to the kidneys that can be common depending on what other medical conditions, including diabetes, uh, might put you at risk for. But that's a pretty common finding. Now, it is something that needs to be treated, but it might not need to be treated as aggressively as, say, somebody who came in in their 40s with a systolic blood pressure of 160. But that's sort of, it's it's basically hardening of the arteries as we age, particularly uh, when you get up to around age 70. All right, Helen, we appreciate your call. Next, we'll go to Ocean Springs. Judy has a question. Go ahead, Judy. Uh, thank you. Uh, I have a friend that's in her early 80s, and she called and wondered if she should take a shingles vaccination because she's not really sure she had it. Uh, She said she usually got it at drugstores, and I just wondered, is there a problem taking a second vaccine if she has already had it? Well, Judy, there's, uh, there's one thing you can do to check. The shingles vaccination will actually require a prescription. Uh, and so what she can do is go to her drugstores and see if she filled a prescription for the shingles vaccination. Uh, so that that would be number one. Uh, the, the second thing and the second part of the question, uh, shingles vaccination does not have a revaccination recommendation nor any evidence for it. So I, I would not recommend doing a second shingles vaccination. So I think the most important part is, number one, confirm with her doctor based on medical records that a shingles vaccination prescription was given to her. Number two, confirm with the pharmacy that that was filled. Um, Now, of course, we can't assume that it was actually given to her by injection. However, I think those two bits of evidence would give you a lot more guidance on that that issue. All right, uh, Judy, thanks for the call. Uh, Personal follow-up question. I had a a bad case of shingles uh, probably a year or so ago. So would the shingles vaccine do me any good at this point? Um, Well, uh, and I don't, I don't know how old you are, Kevin, but um, the, the shingles vaccination right now is going to be recommended for people who have uh, un, uh, who have had uh, uh, some, some some form of shingles or are at high risk for shingles because they're in contact with someone that has had shingles. Um, so I would say probably so. You said it's been a year about that. Yeah. Um, and so you're you're in no rush. Uh, to go get the vaccination. You can get it pretty much uh, anytime in the next year or so, next time you go to your physician. Uh, and I think that that would be a reasonable thing for you. Now, as far as your insurance covering it, that's a different story. <laughs> that's right. A, a horse of a different color altogether there. You're listening to Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. We're going to take our final break of the hour. When we get back, we'll still have time to answer your questions about medications. Filling in for Dr. Rick DeShazo this week, I'm Kevin Farrell, here with Dr. Jimmy Stewart and Dr. Daniel Reich. We'll be back with more 
You can call in your question at 1-877-MPB-RING, 1-877-672-7464. Back with more of the program after this break. Welcome back to Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. I'm Kevin Farrell filling in for Dr. Rick DeShazo this week and have two guests with me in studio this morning. Uh, Dr. Jimmy Stewart and Dr. Daniel Reich are here ready to take your questions about medications. The number to call if you have a question is 1-877-MPB-RING. It's 1-877-672-7464. Our email address is southernremedy at mpbonline.org. We had a caller who left another question regarding the shingles vaccine. Uh, if someone has never had chicken pox, uh, should they or will the vaccine be beneficial to that person? Yes, um, and, and there's actually an age-recommended um, schedule now for uh, if you're over age 55. Most insurances uh, would, would cover that. But if you've never had chicken pox, that does not guarantee that you will not have uh, shingles. So you can actually develop shingles without actually having overt chicken pox. All right. Uh, it's been a busy day on the phones. Glad to get a bunch of calls in on Southern Remedy this hour. So let's let go to Greenwood next. Brenda's question. Go ahead, Brenda. Hi. Um, Hi. My question was on tinea versicolor. Um, okay. I know it's the overgrowth of yeast on the skin, and I was wondering, is there anything that I can do in, in regards to my diet that can help reduce the amount of yeast overgrowth on my skin? Brenda, probably not. So you're you're right. Tinea versicolor is a type of yeast, or actually, it's a, a type of fungus uh, that is very common. Uh, usually, it doesn't cause any problems other than just cosmetic. Uh, there are a, a number of topical uh, agents that you can you can use for that, but diet generally does not change that. Now, some people will say that that what you eat changes the pH on the skin, which could decrease the the amount of tinea that you have. Because we live in the South, uh, and the humidity being what it is, is a very common condition, and it's probably not going to make much difference. I would say stick with a healthy diet and uh, go ahead and treat it with one of the creams that are available from your physician. All right, Brenda, thanks for that call. Next in line is uh, Janice, who's called in from Jackson today. Go ahead, Janice. Yes, I have a question about a uh, reaction my husband had to Saranda Lactone. He developed gynecomastia. My question is, apparently this is common with this drug, so I don't know why it's not told to people before, but how long does it take to reverse its effects? Thank you. Okay. Well, Janice, uh, you, you're correct. That's an adverse effect of spironolactone, uh, which is an aldosterone drug, so it, it plays with our hormones a little bit. And uh, so the gynecomastia, the increased breast mass, uh, can reverse upon discontinuation of the drug. Um, I would say if he doesn't have a reversal or at least improvement in the first six months after discontinuation, um, it's probably going to be worth consulting with his physician 
and looking for secondary causes of hormonal abnormality and whatnot. Um, but yeah, it should it shouldn't take more than six months to start seeing uh, significant reversal. And there's actually an alternative to that in the same drug class called a plerinone, which does not cause the same uh, gynecomastia or swelling of the of the breast tissue that you see. Um, so there are some other alternatives that, uh, that that they could use to that wouldn't cause that side effect. You're listening to Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. We've got about uh, eight minutes left in the program. Still, still time to work in a question if you have one, but you'll need to call in right now at eight seven seven MPB Ring. Our phone number is eight seven seven six seven two. 7464. You can send an email to southernremedy at mpbonline.org. And a reminder, uh, every time you send in an email, Dr. Rick sends you a personal response, and sometimes we'll share them on the air as well, but be guaranteed that you'll get some sort of response from Dr. Rick anytime you use our email address, southernremedy at mpbonline.org. So when you get a prescription, is it always important to all the time take all of the pills in the bottle? Absolutely. Um, unless you have a problem with it, which you should call back to your physician's office if you do have a side effect or something that comes up. But they're written that way for for a purpose. Um, so if it's an acute, most of the time that situation would come up with something that you're taking just for a short period of time. Antibiotics are the most common thing, uh, but there are other medications that you take on a short period. It's important to complete that whole course. Um, a lot of people will save medications, and what you're really doing is you're given opportunities, particularly for infections, uh, for that bacteria to become resistant to that uh, medication over time, uh, and, and it can complicate how we would treat infections in the future. So it's important to take it exactly like your physician prescribed it and for the entire duration. Oh, what about on, on over-the-counter medication? Uh, and, and you say sometimes you'll see an expiration date, say on Advil or some sort of pain reliever, those sorts of things. Is it important to, to pay attention to, to that date? Yeah, expiration dates are critical, and that's actually on prescription drugs and, and on over-the-counter medications. There'll be expiration dates. And what what that means is that the, the, the active ingredient has become unstable or it is not at the milligram content that it is listed to be. Uh, so over time, the, you, you could get less effect or you could get a significant adverse effect due to instability in the product. Uh, let's go to Melissa, who's called in from Louisiana today with a question. Go ahead, Melissa. Yes, I'm calling in reference to my mother. She's in her early 60s, and she has a fibromyalgia, so she's on a lot of pain medicine. Uh, one in particular is Sanaflex, but she has very uh, problems with her arms or anywhere, bruising, severe bruising, just the slightest bump or tearing of the skin. Would any medication like that cause that? Um, there are several medications that can cause easy bruising or uh, or more profound bleeding, and uh, the the typical recommendation for that would to have uh, be have a lab examination of her blood count, uh, and after that you would go on to work up what could be an issue. Certainly, though, there are medications that do cause easy bruising or bleeding, um, and some of those medications uh, are in the fibromyalgia area. Uh, not particularly Xanaflex, but um, other medications that she may be on. All right, Melissa, we appreciate that call. This is Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. As we uh, spend the last few minutes of our show today, you know, we mentioned drug interaction uh, throughout the program. Uh, it, and as we mentioned, it's important to let your doctor know what you're taking so that when they make the prescription, they know that. Uh, what is the problem with drug interaction? Is it that uh, one drug might cancel out the effect of another drug? Do sometimes two drugs combine in a way that's not beneficial to you? Why do we worry about uh, drugs, uh, different drugs working together? 
So it's all of the above. Um, you can have some drugs that will cancel effects or decrease concentrations in the blood. You can have some drugs that will inhibit the metabolism, thus increasing concentrations in the blood. You can have other drugs that are just uh, synergistic in terms of adverse effects. So you add this drug and that, uh, uh, this dr- drug A to drug B, and you have an increased risk of bleed, but it doesn't increase the concentrations of either drug. It's just both drugs can increase risk of bleed. Um, so it, it, there... There's a need for vigilance with pharmacotherapy, uh, and your doctor's doing that when they when they see you. So it's important to give them all the information, tell them all the medicines you're on. That includes over-the-counter products, which can have these interferences. Um, and I, I think the most important part is to have everybody in your healthcare team know what you're taking, when you're taking it, and why you're taking it. And that includes everyone from your physician, your physician specialist like rheumatologist, all the way to your your pharmacist. Uh, and uh, I think that's a critical thing is to try to keep everybody informed. I know from, from my perspective, one of the best things you can do for your physician is to clean out that drug cabinet right before you go to the physician and bring all of your medications to your clinic appointment. That way they can know exactly what you're taking, bring those over-the-counter medications uh, it, with you so that they can know exactly everything that you're taking. Because you may forget it. I've, even when I have gone to the physician, uh, to my physician, I forget to tell them uh, what I'm taking. Uh, so it just it helps to bring that basket with you every time so they'll know exactly what, what's going on. And I would imagine also when with uh, drug interactions, as uh, Dr. Rishu sort of alluded to, your pharmacist is, is a person in that chain as well. So uh, they can give you some insight on that. But also, uh, could they also maybe help you interpret, uh, again, like take with food, that sorts of thing? They can help you in, uh, interpret those instructions. Yes, and you should be receiving uh, medication uh uh, uh, forms with counseling information on it, on your prescriptions uh, like that. The particular area the pharmacist might be important for is the over-the-counter medications as well, because some of those need to be taken uh, with or without food several times a day, et cetera, away from other prescription medicines, and that's not necessarily on the back of that bottle. Very good. That'll wrap us up for today. This is Kevin Farrell. I've been sitting in for Dr. Rick DeShazo on Southern Remedy. I'd like to thank our two guests, Dr. Jimmy Stewart and Dr. Daniel Reich. A reminder, next week it's drive time. Dr. Rick will be back to take your medical questions and also ask for your financial support. This is Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio.